For decades, late-night television talk shows were where America snuggled up together and we laughed. Now that I've seen it, I know exactly what I'm talking about. The hosts were household names, but also very male and, let's say it, white. What do you have in mind particularly? (laughs) Things diversified a bit last decade with hosts like Trevor Noah, Larry Wilmore, and Samantha Bee. Welcome back to the show. Birth control is a goddamn miracle. Birth control... But now, they're all out. Trevor Noah announced he's leaving Comedy Central's The Daily Show. I realized that after the seven years, my time is up. I, uh... Yeah. And in a world where people like their hot takes and comedy bits and TikTok-sized reels, is late-night TV finally, truly done? I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Monday, October 17th, 2022. Today, what's next for a uniquely TV American genre, one whose obituary has been written again and again, yet continues to stumble along? Lorraine Ali is a television critic for the Los Angeles Times. Lorraine, welcome to the Times. Hello, glad to be here. Okay, so one of your latest columns focused on Trevor Noah leaving The Daily Show after seven years, and you wrote that his exit isn't just going to hurt The Daily Show, but it's going to hurt all of late-night TV. How? So Trevor Noah really stood out in the late-night TV field for many reasons. I mean, number one, he is the only host who is not a white man, (laughs) number one. Number two, he brought in a viewpoint that was basically outside of the American experience or even the British experience, like John Oliver. He comes from South Africa. So he kind of gave us a perspective that's just not, you know, one that late night hosts that we have here in America give us. Because South Africa is dealing with many issues, some of which might sound familiar. South Africa has the highest inequality in the world. And it was really nice to hear somebody speak to immigrant experience and what the United States looks like to the outside world. And that's what he brought in. So Trevor Noah would have his segments, and one of them was the Royal Rumble. In our latest installment of the Royal Rumble. And he would look at what was going on with the royal family in a very... Cynical and fantastic and funny way. Let's get to the big story that everyone's talking about. Two weeks ago, as you all know, Queen Elizabeth died of being old. And it's been a wild two weeks since. And one in particular that was really funny was, you know, after the Queen's death, looking at the different perspectives of how her death was viewed, whether you were a British subject who, you know, felt it was a great, great loss. Lots of heated debates from all sides. She was an icon. Or whether you were somebody who was from a colonized area where the British had not been so kind to you and your family and your people. She was a tyrant. Preserve the monarchy. Get rid of the monarchy. We hate Charles. We also hate Charles. And he would look at it from the idea, you know, were they the colonizer or were they, you know, the royalty that you looked up to? And there was a very different perspective and it was very funny. Yeah, he's really sharp and political, but he's funny. Anytime I have seen him talk, even like his voice tones, he's always making me laugh. I love him. He's great. Yeah, he's so great. And, you know, on top of all that, like his impressions, you know, he would do a, a Nigerian accent. Like Nigerians have the best metaphors and similes that they'll throw in. They'll be like, the irritable bowel syndrome of Ninth Avenue traffic, huh? 
or he'd do his grandmother's accent, or he could do, his father was like European and he would do a German Swiss accent. My favorite one to do is a South African accent. You know, that's, <laughs> I just wake up every day speaking in another accent then I choose. Um, people don't realize this. If you want to learn languages, there are two things you have to understand. One, language is mostly about rhythm. And two, you have to be willing to be an idiot to learn a new language. Fantastic, you know, and I don't think actually anybody did Trump better than Trevor Noah. (laughs) Let me just say welcome everybody to my press conference. We're doing it. And Trevor, sadly, he wasn't the only person to leave their show this year. You also had Samantha Bee who had to leave after her show got canceled. That's right. It's seven and out for Full Frontal with Samantha B. Having B swatted off the airways represents the loss of a rare female voice from late night TV. And she had tackled a lot of issues of what was going on with women, feminism, even before the banning of Rose. The sudden death of Justice Antonin Scalia has left a hole, not just in his weird medieval hunting club or on the Supreme Court softball team, but at the court itself, which will now have to dive up your uterus without him. It's really a shame to lose Samantha Bee now because... She could have been the most powerful or impactful voice of late night in, I hate to say, post-Row era, but that's where we are. I'm going to do something that should have been done decades ago. I'm going to teach sex ed to senators. Time to learn about vaginas, cycles, and why Charlotte from Sex and the City was sad for two whole seasons. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with lesson one. And we really need that voice right now, and we don't have it. And so the loss of Samantha B stings right now, particularly. Everyone say the amount of abortions they think Donald Trump has paid for. (laughs) (laughs) I think five. That's so low. Maybe 13. It was like 76. (laughs) Unfortunately, the platform, TBS, you know, for many reasons, late night struggling. But when you're on a platform like TBS, mm, Yeah, you're already coming from behind. (laughs) Yeah, this snuck in between showings of what? Captain America Civil War and baseball or something. (laughs) Yes, right. That's a hard, hard spot. That's a hard gig. So who are we left with then in terms of the big late nighters? The big late nighters are Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, the Jimmys, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon. And then, you know, you have the weekly shows like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Um... I don't know. Do we want to throw Bill Maher in there? I don't even know what that is. But yes, <laughs> that's something. Wow, what a roster. It's as diverse <laughs> as a late night roster in the 1990s. Exactly, right? Here we are, back where we were. And it's unfortunate. We are in a transition period. And I'm not sure that it's going to stay where it is right now. I don't think it is. I mean, late night keeps morphing. And it's look, it's like, what, a 50-year-old, 60-year-old you know, format and one that really helped shape American television. But as American television's changed, so has the format for late night. And also demographically, America is changing. Late night has to try and keep up here. And I don't think that's where it's going to settle. I think we're in a transition period. More on the state of late night TV after a quick break.
So Lorraine, part of me thinks, okay, diversity is important, but if the host is funny, who cares if whatever the race is, if they're white? Like I thought David Letterman was a complete genius, you know, and Stephen Colbert, he brings it. He still brings it. And then when George Lopez had his show also on TBS, I believe, well, it wasn't good. So when there was though a diversity movement in late night TV in this past decade, what was the rationale for it? Well, I think it's, you know, an obvious rationale. The country is changing. You know, the representation on television was not. And I think there was an idea that, okay, you know, we have to actually cater who's out there. But number two, you know, late night started to become a lot more political. It started to weigh in a lot more on what was going on in politics, culturally, socially. Um, If you're waking up from a coma... Bad timing, first of all. Uh, Donald Trump has been sworn in as president of the United States. And you cannot do that when it's only coming from one sector of the U.S. population. You can't do that when it's only one viewpoint. I think that was the idea. There's a lot of criticism around it, too, as there should have been. I think the idea, too, that it doesn't matter who you are as long as you're funny, I think that's true. Russia. The country that gave the world Tetris, Merkins you wear on your heads, and potentially the 45th president of the United States. Funny has to be first and foremost, right? Then, you know, perspective is really important. And those two kind of go hand in hand in terms of relevance, too. If you're going to be able to keep up with, you know, some of the issues that have been going on, whether you're talking about immigration, whether you're talking about racial inequity... You want the perspective of somebody who's actually experienced that as well. Yeah. So then why are we back to where we started? I think we're back to where we started because late night, again, is trying to figure out where it belongs. You know, when you talk about it on linear television or appointment TV or or just old school TV, if we want to talk about it like that, those numbers, those ratings are down. The way that young people watch television Well, they don't. Like, my son does not watch television, you know? And the idea, like, when he walks in and there is a television on and it's full of commercials and it's broadcast television, he's like, what is this? Like, can we fast forward this? Like, no. No, you can't. You have to sit through commercials. So, you know, the idea that Gen Z is going to somehow come back to, you know, linear television and watch late night shows and sit through commercials, it's like, yeah, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. But then when you look at who subscribes to these shows on YouTube, say, Mm. those numbers are up. So where is it going? And I think it's just a reshuffling right now in losing some of these hosts. And then more than just who's hosting and who's getting hired, what are those bigger trends influencing late night? You mentioned like, you know, numbers are up in social media, but how much has social media and streaming affected late night talk shows, both in how they present themselves, but also just you know, whether they're financially successful. Yeah, I mean, and that's the question right now, right? When you look at something like The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, they were starting to really cater for, you know, the segments that would be pulled out and go viral, right? And you could see it. You could see how that was working. They would have segments that were like, could live on their own. New segment, Is This How We Die? Today's catastrophic threat to humanity is the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19 or Kofifi. Trump tried to warn us, but we laughed. That's where his show really, you know, sort of skyrocketed. If you want to look at it from the angle of how many people are watching this on NBC, on the old networks, 
Well, then, yeah, for sure. Streaming or podcasting or however it is that people are getting their news, their comedy, it's totally, you know, taken a bite out of the old school way that your parents watched this, you watched it growing up, whoever you are. One of the most amazing pictures to come out in the past few years is E.T. One of the draws of late night television historically was the interviews with famous people, the celebrities that they would get on there. And this young lady has earned a great deal of attention from her appearance in it. And uh, she is just seven years old. Would you welcome, please, Drew Barrymore. It was, in many ways, the only way that American audiences could see them outside of their respective films or shows. Now you have social media and fans can follow them. And so that part of late night television, interestingly, has become the least interesting part of it. Often when there are interviews now on late night TV, that's not what goes viral. That's not the clip that's pulled and gets the heat on YouTube. It's the actual hosts themselves doing the funny thing that only they can do. So the shows that do remain, like Colbert and the Jimmys and John Oliver and even Bill Maher for that matter, What's their future look like? That's an interesting question. Um, the top three late night guys aren't going anywhere. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel just extended his contract to 2026, Colbert at least through 23, and Fallon has also extended his contract. So those guys aren't going anywhere. This isn't like, okay, you know, they're done and the new guard is coming in. They're signed up to be with us for a while. So I think everybody's kind of finding their audience and their niche of where they fit. And it's going to be really interesting to see what comes next. What about streaming services? How have they or will they impact the genre? Streamers have tried their hand at the late night format and it hasn't really worked. You know, you had Chelsea Handler with Netflix, Michelle Wolf, Hassan Minhaj, and then with Hulu, Sarah Silverman. And that late night format just is not really compatible with the way the streaming works now. I mean, you have somebody like Jon Stewart or David Letterman also going off and doing their own, but those personalities, they're already so established. It's not about the late night format. It is about the personality. It is about following Jon Stewart. It is about going with David Letterman. They are generational sort of touchstones in terms of who they are. They have the power to drag viewers with them. But to start up someone who's lesser known on a streamer in a late night form, it just it has not worked. Hassan Minhaj, for instance, yeah. you know, the Patriot Act, that's one of the first streaming, quote unquote, late night shows or formats. Tonight, I want to come clean. Seriously, I want to come clean. I don't have a lot of vices. OK, I don't drink. I don't jewel. I don't go to hookah lounges. I know I look like I do, but I don't. But I am an addict and I am addicted to Amazon, which I know doesn't sound crazy as far as addictions go. The Patriot Act was kind of an experiment on Netflix to see if they could be doing the late night format on a streaming platform. And it went for about seven seasons and it was brilliant in terms of infusing a kind of more international perspective into late night. And he also tackled a lot of issues at the time that were going on with like the Muslim ban and Trump's view of countries where brown people like Hassan Minhaj live. Tonight, we are talking about one of the most disturbing policies in America right now, our ruthless immigration enforcement. Since the start of his campaign, the president has been demonizing and scapegoating immigrants and refugees. But in the last year, that demonization has morphed into outright persecution. He brought a perspective in that was unique. And then there's the weirdness of Bill Maher. I appreciate that. I, uh, 
<laughs> How? Why? I know why you're happy today. Because uh, did you see Joe Biden on 60 Minutes on Sunday? He declared the pandemic was over. So Somebody explain that to me. So if you're wearing a mask, you better be robbing me. We need a TV critic in here to explain that. Well, here we have one here in Lorraine Ali. <laughs> And we've been talking about these late night talk shows, but we might as well mention Saturday Night Live, which always seems to be reinventing themselves. And you want to talk about premature obituaries at Saturday Night Live again and again. So how are the issues different for them as opposed to the late night talk shows hosted by one person? Well, SNL, you know, they have uh, a lot more to work with, right? Because they have all these different skits. They have a huge cast, you know, they have musical guests. But I think they have to keep up with sketch comedy on top of politically being sharp. And their weekend update, I don't think it's been very sharp for a long time. I would say that probably their sketches are better. But then if you watch Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like they got to keep up with that end of it. And then they have to try and also keep up with the news side of it and with the Trevor Noahs and with the John Olivers. Why can't some network just give Bo and Yang a talk show and then all the problems are solved? Well, see, you just solved them right there. <laughs> right now, you know that somebody's like grabbing onto that going, OK, I got this brilliant idea that's all mine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let me pitch it to you. <laughs> <laughs> More after the break. Lorraine, since we're seeing like whatever is next happening for late night, and I think our listeners are way younger than both you and I. And so they probably don't remember when Bette Midler came on Johnny Carson and they both sang a duet and they cried. You might as well tell everyone about how late night talk shows really, really, really were influential for decades. They were. I mean, they were, if you want to call it appointment television, you know, the American family or the parents, at least, tuned in to whoever it was, Carson, Letterman. From New York, the greatest city in the world, it's The Late Show with David King of Unsocial Media. And the next morning, people would be talking about whatever that moment was. Like you said, the Bette Midler moment. And I would just like to say, I don't remember that. Uh, wow, and I'm going to just pretend. Ancient, then. <laughs> I'm going to pretend it's an age thing, but I don't remember that. Sorry. You know, but that was like what shaped, you know, what people were talking about the next day, what they would trends, what they become interested in. And then there were segments that were really famous. Johnny Carson doing his mind reader thing. Hello, Bim. Welcome. Welcome, oh, great sea. May the sands of the Kalahari never clog your body's vital openings. <laughs> or the funny pets on Letterman. So what will you and Patches do tonight, Bob? Well, you probably go to the refrigerator and get a drink. Maybe go smile. Uh -huh. The horse will go to the refrigerator and get a drink. We hope so. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, you know, I'd pay to see that. You know, Jay Leno with his cars. We went through all those things, and those were specific eras in American television, and it really shaped the way that Americans kind of saw the world outside of their nightly news. When I think of late night, my memory is David Letterman's countdown, right? It was the top 10. And the category top 10 tips from Betty White for living a long and happy life. And now, ladies and gentlemen, presenting tonight's top 10 list, the lovely and talented Betty White. Betty, come on out. And, and that would summarize the most either 
untimely or absurd things at the front of the news, at the front of everyone's mind at the time, and just completely lampoon it. And somehow, I feel like it was the beginning of making you feel better about how messed up everything was out there. That's what I remember. (laughs) So what do we miss in a world then where the late night talkers aren't that big anymore and we don't have those moments? With the waning of appointment television overall, yeah, we miss that collective experience, right? But I mean, what we gain is this fragmented universe where there's a lot of different things happening. And I think that's really cool. I think that's really, you know, what we kind of need. I think we, we're we looking for all sorts of different experiences and viewpoints, and we're getting that. Yeah, I mean, everybody complains right now. We should all sort of try and pull together a little more. But do we need to do that through late night television? I don't think so. Hmm. <laughs> I think it's fine to be heading in a lot of different directions. Do you see, though, anything taking that place, that cultural community place that late night TV used to offer? No, not on television, really. I think, you know, it's the idea of everybody does something different at night to fall asleep. Let's put it that way. You know, it's either a podcast. Um, Me, it's the first 48, you know, true crime, (laughs) just on loop in the background. We all do what we got to do. And I think we have a lot more options for that. So will something take its place? No, not one thing. I just think we're, we're past that. Yeah, I'm really boring. I just listen to news because news doesn't sleep. But I do eventually. (laughs) Good for you that you get some sleep. (laughs) I do not. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) sleep more, Lorraine. Lorraine, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, Essential News from the LA Times. David Toledo and Kizzy Moreland were the jefes on this episode, and Mike Heflin mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brosalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistant is Madeline Amato. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Orbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. And hey, we're building a Dia de los Muertos audio altar this year and would love to include your memories of your loved ones. Call 619-800-0717, 619-800-0717, and leave us a voicemail with your own ofrendas. Tell us who you are, where you live, and then tell us a great story about a friend, a family member, someone dear to you who has passed on and joined the ancestors. We want to air an entire episode with those stories around Day of the Dead. Thanks in advance, and again, the number is 619-800-0717. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Wednesday with all the news in this month. Gracias. <laughs>